welcome to this week's episode of I Was Going to Podcast. This week's guest is Becky Woodhouse, founder and CEO of Pure Beauty and Spa. Good morning, Becky Woodhouse, and welcome to the I Was Going to Podcast. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for inviting me on this podcast. No problem at all, Becky. It's, it's, it's great to have you on board. Becky, th- this first question you'll have heard, if you've listened to some of the podcasts, you'll have heard me saying, we want to stop this first question. But unfortunately, COVID's got uh, other ideas. And the first question is, you know, it's been such an unusual time. What have you been doing to keep yourself busy? Because I'm quite sure you will have been very busy with the amount of businesses that you've got. (laughs) Yeah, been a very interesting time, I would say, the COVID. So I'll tell you a little story. It will come back to the COVID thing, but um, just just by way of background about my business. So I started my business in 2002. I was 27. I'm now 46. Um, So if you can imagine, it's been my, you know, passion project for a a long period of my life um, and and most of my career. So um, if we go back to sort of March 2020, um, prior to COVID, you know, my business was flying. It was growing great. You know, everything was fantastic, really exciting. And then... I was actually in Australia when when COVID, um, hit, you know, hit badly in the beginning of March. And um, we actually had a stopover in Bangkok on the way home. So um, we left Sydney on the 15th of March, I think it was. And we landed in Bangkok. And, um, you know, it's obviously a 10-hour flight, so you've no idea what's going on. Um, at that point, you know, most flights were getting cancelled, but ours weren't. And it was at the time when they weren't actually cancelling flights or allowing you to change your bookings or anything. You know, you were literally, you're on that flight or you're, you know, you've lost it kind of thing. And we, we needed to get home. So um, we went on the flight. Um, there was nine people on the flight. It was a, you know, a triple seven enormous jumbo plane with nine people on it. Um, and we got to Bangkok and, you know, obviously we had, I've been out of the UK at that point for about three weeks. So, um, you know, obviously I've been seeing it on the news and, um, you know, daily contact with the, the team back home. But when we landed in Bangkok, you know, it was it was the 16th of March. And at that point, it was before the government had announced anything, but our business was just absolutely trashed, right? Um, you know, literally empty diaries, clients cancelling every day. And, you know, I sat there in the hotel in Bangkok thinking, this is it, you know, this is the end. You know, I don't know how we're going to get over this. You know, it's, it's just... It's just impossible, which is a very strange feeling for me because having had the business for so long, you know, as you can imagine, I've probably seen just about every challenge that you can be faced with having a business. And so I'm quite a resilient person, you know, I just get on with it. You know, anything that's thrown at me, I will always find a solution. You know, that that's always been the way I've been. And, but at that point, I just thought, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, Um, which is a terrible, I mean, as you can, you know, I don't know if you can imagine how that feels when you've had your entire life kind of flash before your eyes. Um, And also, not only that, I wasn't even in the country, you know, (laughs) I was, was, you know, halfway across the world, so doing it from afar, and um, so I had a terrible, I mean, I'll, you know, be honest, it was terrible for the few days in Bangkok. And then, so I was supposed to be in Thailand for five days on a stopover. And we were staying in a place called Hua Hin, which is about three hours south of Bangkok. So we got to the hotel there and, um, well, the, the saving grace was Boris on the 20th of March coming up with his statement about, you know, we're in lockdown, but there's furlough. 
Um, and I thought, oh, we're saved, right? That, that's all I could think. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> They've saved us. <laughs> and then, so I went from, you know, absolute depths of despair to, oh my goodness, floods of relief. Um, in the space of about two days and really that has been my year <laughs> for, for ever since so we should have been in Thailand for five days we got stuck for two and a half months wow. so after uh, the day after we got to Hua Hin they closed the airport so our flight from Bangkok back to um, Edinburgh got cancelled and then it was cancelled about four times and we had to, um, they, they shut the hotel, so we had to move to a villa. You know, they had lockdown there as well. So um, my kids were back in the UK, so I didn't see my, my two boys for, you know, nearly three months, which is a hugely long time. They were, I knew they were fine. They were safe. They were with their dad. But, um, you know, it, people say, oh, it must have been wonderful. You know, it's Thailand, it's paradise. <laughs> And it, it, in some ways it was, but it was just surreal because the place was dead. You know, it, it was in lockdown. There was nothing to do. Didn't speak the language. Didn't know anyone. Didn't know anything. It was 35 degrees every day, which was lovely. It was just bizarre. It was just bizarre. Yeah. But Benny, um, I, think, I think we'll come in there and just say, I think that, that Australia must have been overly populated because... I was there with my wife at exactly the same time. Colin was there with his wife at exactly the oh, same really? time. Oh, <laughs> really? I've got a daughter out there. <laughs> but uh, we were visiting our daughter and had exactly the same uh, situation. Yeah. We, we uh, flew from Melbourne and we were to go to S Singapore to stay for uh... few nights as a stopover there. And uh, we, we didn't know whether we were going to get in or not or what to do. We were panicking. And as you just described, it was the most surreal thing. We ended up going to Singapore and we were very fortunate. We came back on the Thursday and we, and right. we went into lockdown on the Monday. We had mm. the most surreal, uh, empty Singapore experience that we had because uh, Colin stayed in Singapore for several years and he said, right. I have to go here, 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 and, but it'll be busy. And of course, we were going in there. It was empty. It was dead, yeah. It was bizarre, yeah. So, yeah, we can understand exactly that that aspect, but the prospect of where you were with your business, you must have been extraordinarily anxious about everything on that, Becky. But if we can maybe stop it at that, and we'll re-engage with that, because that sounds amazing. If we can really take you right back, Becky, we want to probe a wee bit about yourself and just understand who you are etc and if we can maybe take you back to your school and you were educated in the UK and you studied yeah. chemical engineering when you went on to your further mm. education how did you find your education experience? Yeah not great to be honest and <laughs> <laughs> um, I am um... I, I was born in Norwich, so I um, I was born in Norwich, but my parents moved to Peterborough when I was about eight months old, and we were there until I was 10, and then we moved back to Norwich. So um, my early years, I was educated in Peterborough, and I was really quite bright as a, as a kid. You know, I, I was a geek, right? I was like the nerdy geek in the corner, you know, with a head in a maths book or something, right? And um, so I was quite, um, in Peterborough, I was, I was actually put in the year above me because I'd sort of completed all the work of the year that I was supposed to be in. Um, but when I moved back to Norwich, because it was obviously a different council area, yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 about an hour and a half drive between, you know, so it's not close at all. Um, I was I was automatically put in like the middle band because they said, well, you haven't come through the schooling system here. So, you know, that's what you get. And, um, you know, I, me at 10, I, I kind of knew that that wasn't right. So I kept on and on at my mum basically to go to the school and ask them to put me into the top band 
And um, eventually she did. And they and the teachers said, well, um, we can put her in top band, but she'll have to take an exam of the things that they're studying in the top band. And if she passes the exam, now they knew that I hadn't even been taught the things that were in the top band because I was in middle band and they weren't teaching me. So I basically borrowed the textbook off a friend in my class who was in top band, taught myself everything they were doing, sat the exam and passed it. But I actually think the teachers expected me to fail. Um, they didn't, I don't remember them helping, maybe they did. But um, anyway, I got put into top band, which was quite fortuitous as it happens, because then when I went to high school, I was put in top band. And I think if I'd have been put in middle band, I probably wouldn't have got the grades to go to university. So it actually, at the age of 10, I, in hindsight, I look back on it and think I was, you know, I just thought at the time, you know, I, I know where I need to be. But actually, it was it was it was a good thing that I pushed so hard to get that. And but my I went to a school. It was a comprehensive school in a suburb in Norwich. It wasn't. What I would say about it is there's no real expectation of you as a as a student to do anything. They didn't push you. They didn't encourage you. There was no expectation about going to university or anything like that. Um, you know, really, it was, you know, you turned up from school and, or if you didn't turn up, you got detention, you know, and that, that, was, about, that was basically it. So I at a fairly early age decided that I wanted to go to university but my my motivation to go to university was really because I didn't want to live at home so and I thought well I can leave at 18 if I go to university you know so that was really basically my which is probably not the greatest decision but it was a you know I mean it's worked out well and I was really into maths and science from a very young age and reading you know I was as I said, I was the nerdy geek in the corner. <laughs> and um, so I decided to do engineering as a degree. I thought it would, you know, suit my, you know, passion at that point. And little did I know that, um, <laughs> you know, my, my degree was like 35 hours a week of lectures plus, you know, <laughs> 20 hours a week of homework, <laughs> you know, and I was living with people who were doing history or something at 10 hours a week of lectures and I'd be like this is not fair I thought you know it's full-time so it's a very full-on degree which I know you'll know if you because you're both engineers as well yeah 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 a little while ago <laughs> yeah well it's a little while for me as well but it's what, what a coincidence Becky my oldest daughter actually is a chemical engineer uh, she graduated uh -huh. from Leeds so we live in England now but she's based right. in uh, Peterborough actually ah. she, lives in, she lives in Stanground so oh lovely common, common area yeah yeah well yeah. we've got a spa down there now in Peterborough right so I go there a little bit yeah it's nice I like it so your education mm. experience if we can just Take you back onto that. It's, it's quite interesting that there's synergies there with, again, so many people that, that they didn't find they were specifically motivated in any mm. particular direction. Uh, Colin uses the word commoditized, that the education system is pretty much commoditized. It's pretty much a case of this is what you've got to do, but there isn't a particular point to it. And just sort of stretching on that before we move on to, to, to your career itself, did you get any career advice when you were, before you left school? Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, I have to say my school were not great on that. I mean, they, they actually actively tried to discourage me from even going to university, which you think, really, really? But they, um, they, they, uh, when I was applying to go to courses, you know, you have to put your grades, your projected, your teachers have to put the projected grades on. And at that point, I mean, obviously, because I went through the English system, I was doing A-levels. I did maths, um, physics and chemistry A-levels. And they, but, but in my school, you actually took exams at the end of the first year um, that were sort of half an A-level, they were called an AS level. Um, yep. And I got three A's, right? And they, they wanted to put on my thing that I was going to get 
three C's or something. <laughs> and I was like, but I got three A's, you know, <laughs> like, surely, why would you say I'm now going to project to get a C? And that's going to knock me out of all of the universities that I was applying for, because I was applying for courses where you needed like two A's and a B or something. And the event, I had to get my mum involved again. <laughs> she went down the school marching on, you know, um, and they did agree to change it. Um, you know, and I, I got a place at Bradford University, um, which was a really good, um, they've unfortunately closed their chem department now, but it was, um, it was a really good department at the time. And, but I think actually my school didn't help at all in that, you know, they, they did, it really didn't help, which was a shame, but I just think it was, the school had no expectation that any of their pupils would, you know, very few actually even went to university. You know, it was a 2,000 people school and you'd be lucky if six people went, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was quite, it was difficult. Yeah. It was difficult. You had to fit, you felt like you had to fight for everything that you got. And, uh, and maybe that's kind of set me up <laughs> for the future that, you know, I'm in this like, well, you have to fight for everything that you, you want to get in life and it doesn't come to you on a plate. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, but it was it was an experience. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Quite, quite quite ironic, though, isn't it? Considering that you're so close to uh, one of the, the iconic universities in the world, Cambridge. Mm. Uh, so you're living very close to that, and yet there's yeah. no motivation uh, for the pupils. That's, that's, uh, but mm. I think the other thing is for people in Scotland to to understand that if they're not familiar with. England. I mean, the population uh, in the east of England is bigger than Scotland, and then you're suddenly halfway between the east of England and the Midlands, where you are if you're at Peterborough. Mm. So, uh, yeah. you know, people in Scotland would somehow maybe find that a little bit hard to understand how big that is. However, uh, I think, as uh, Stuart alluded to, commonality here that uh, the education system isn't set up to to deal with individual needs at all, or even individual uh, inspiration. It's, uh, it's just, a, there's a missing ingredient that we, we've all seen there. Sometimes you can be misguided to go to something or not guided at all. In your case, it yeah. sounds like you weren't guided at all. Yeah, no, I mean, there were some individual teachers in my school who, were, who would encourage you, you know, with, within your class. Um, but I think that was very much of an, they were fighting against, uh, you know, the sort of process that they had to go through. And, and, and it, is, it is a shame that there can't be more, um, more focused on individual needs and, and yeah. you know, and, and encouraging people to reach their full potential of what they are capable of doing and not everyone wants to go into academia you know no one not everyone you know and that's absolutely fine you know not everyone is made out for university that's absolutely fine but you know everyone has the potential to be great in their life doing what they do and what they enjoy doing and yeah definitely think that that, that is quite interesting. I, I, I think we're going to hear this uh, quite frequently. One of the things that I read about you, Becky, was uh, I think it was under a context of one of the questions was, what makes you angry? And one of the answers was bureaucracy. And I think that might be a common theme through what we're going to be talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> common belief between yeah. us as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think we all yeah. agree on that. <laughs> um, so moving, moving uh, from your schooling uh, to your, your further education, what, I, I wasn't quite sure. You, you went from chemical engineering, Becky, to uh, accountancy. Uh, mm. did, did you complete your chemical engineering and move to, to the accountancy? Or did yeah. you move into PwC at that point? Yeah, so um, when I was at uni, I took a four-year degree course and one year was placement, but I did it in two six-month sl slots, if you know what I mean, over two years. So I was really lucky. I got to go, the first placement that I did, I got to go to France for six months, and I worked in a refinery in the south of France, um, you know, as an engineer. Um, but I was sort of only in my second year at uni at the time, so um, fairly limited, but it gave me a really good um, 
grounding in the in the job I would say and then my second placement I went to Hull and I worked at the BP um, refinery there for six months and um, I really I actually really valued the work experience but it made me realize that I didn't want to be an engineer <laughs> like I, I liked the course but I did it was not me you know like I, I just didn't enjoy the environment when I when I did so it was actually really good to do a, a year's placement because it, it did give me that insight that you know this is maybe not the career for me yeah. um but obviously I'm a you know maths is you know it just it, it just sits well with me and I'm, I'm always maths orientated so um I thought well you know maybe more of a sort of rounded business um kind of qualification would, would suit so um when I graduated my last year at uni actually I started applying for um to join some accountancy firms because I thought that that would be a career that I would really enjoy because one thing that I do did not want to do was sit behind a desk all day <laughs> and I know that in you know with with um the accountancy firms you know you have different clients and you're out and about and you're in different people's offices and you're meeting people and <clears throat> that sort of appealed to me because I am quite a you know I like to be out and about and doing different things so um I started applying and it was interesting because um ironically despite saying that um you know I did well in my my middle year of A-levels, I actually did really badly in my final exams in A-levels. So I actually only got two C's and an E um, in my final year. And it was just a difficult year of my life. Um, from a personal point of view, I just had a really tough year in my final year at A-levels. And I, but I still got my university place at Bradford, which was my first choice anyway. So they still let me in, <laughs> um, even with my terrible grades. But um, but when I came to apply for accountancy, there was some like statistic that if you did really well in A-level, you would do better in the accountancy exams at ICAS. So um, at that time when I was applying, they looked more at your A-level results, which of course mine were terrible, <laughs> than they did your university, which mine was quite good. Um, so I did have a battle on my hands to actually get a job to the point where I decided that I really wanted to work at PW at the time, which then turned into PWC. And I got through to the sort of final round of the interview um, and then they rejected me. So they sent me rejection and um, I was so upset. And I was like, but I know, like I had their graduate brochure. This is typical me. I had their graduate brochure and I'm like, but I take all of their boxes, right? So they definitely want me as their employee, right? So I hot foot it down to their office and I sat in their reception and said, you need to re-interview me for this job. I'm definitely the person that you want. Um, and I'll sit here and I'm not going to go until you've re-interviewed me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> which, to which I don't think they knew, quite knew what to take of that. So I sat there for about an hour and then a partner eventually came along and said, okay, we'll re-interview you for the job. I think they thought this is the only way we're going to get rid of her on that reception. Um, and then they offered me the job, which was great. And I really enjoyed my time there as an accountant. And actually, it was interesting because I actually did... I actually did better in my accountancy exams. It, I, my, my education improved the longer I was in it. So, you know, I, I did terrible in my A-levels, but I did, I got a 2-1 in my, my degree. But in my accountancy, in my final exam, I actually came second in Scotland. So I got a prize actually for, um, for my performance in my exams, which I thought was ironic given that they used this statistic to say that I would be, you know, not be able to pass the accountancy exam. And I, and so, I think, um, I, and I think that, that that's quite an interesting part uh, just to highlight because the number of uh, the entrepreneurial guests that we've had on that have spoken about, one of the most important points for them in any business is they say it's all about the figures. 
And the, mm. the, the accountancy side of things is obviously stood you in good stead for the next part that we'll speak about. You, Ed, you then set up your own business, Pure Span Beauty. Can you tell us a wee bit about how that all came about? Yeah. Um, so I did my three years of uh, chartered accountancy, and which was straight after uni. So that, that was quite difficult. Um, but it's basically like having a second degree, but you're also working full time at the same time. So it's quite it's quite full on. Um, and I was working at PwC. I worked there for about seven years and I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't for me. You know, I'm not I realise I'm I just I'm probably unemployable. I'm just not a corporate person. You know, I, I just I really enjoyed the job and I really enjoyed the work. I hated the politics. Um you know, just just wasn't me. And so when I qualified, I thought, um, I just want to go and do my own thing. So it's funny because I had a I had a number of business ideas actually, right? And I'll I'll give you a few because you'll laugh. Like what the one that I was gonna start, right, was uh, delivery service for takeaways where you could order your takeaway online right yeah. <laughs> through this so take off. it was before facebook <laughs> I, I guess i didn't feel that passionate about that idea so i, I got a ticket to a certain thing it's funny isn't it how things turn out i i'm a little bit of a believer in things meant to be what the what happens to you, you know, it, you, you take yourself in a direction, you know, that you don't even realise. And so, but I really, really enjoyed having duty treatments. And when I was working at PwC, I would spend a lot of time on the road, you know, travelling up and down to London all the time, Cardiff, Bristol, like all over the place. And when I used to go down to London, there were quite a few salons down there that used to do treatments in your lunch hour. And I was thinking, oh, this is this is fantastic. You know, you can get your sandwich and a manicure all in your hour of your lunch. And there literally was nothing like that in Edinburgh. And so that's how Pure came about, really. So I thought, well, I can start my own salon. Um, so that's that's really how I started, and um, I wasn't even going to call it pure um, in the in the beginning. It was going to be called the Nail and Beauty Zone, which is still what my actual company name is called. Although I changed it to Pure before just before we we opened because I thought it was a better name. Um, and you know, but I had a bit of a disaster to be honest when I first started. Um, I had the salon on Lothian Road, which I picked because it was in the heart of the financial district. And I thought our clients are going to be busy, professional people. They want what they want when they want. And I think in some ways, you know, as the years have gone by, that has become more relevant um, than, than it was even at the time. Um, but I took on this lease. For the shop um, I had to sign into a 15-year lease <laughs> so as you can imagine from day one it was quite an undertaking um, and I was 27 at the time I just had a my first son so he was six months old um, people were like you're crackers <laughs> really um gave up my job and away I went but we we hit a snag so my the we had to do the fit out of the shop it was an art and picture framers when I took the shop over so it was, and it hadn't been it was really unloved you know it, it was it was horrible <laughs> um is the best way I can describe it so and I wanted to turn it into this beautiful salon so um, I had a design team and um, I took on this, this company who basically do the, the shop fit design and make all the furniture. So we had bespoke furniture um, specifically for the salon and um, unbeknown to me, because, you know, I was, I was, I was a startup, so I knew nothing about running a business really, although I had a, you know, a degree in a 
qualified a chartered accountant that does not qualify you to run a business whatsoever. So I was just completely naive and little did I know that they were basically um, ripping me off to, to the tune of like many thousands of pounds. Um, and to the point where um, when I found out about it, I was, I was devastated, you know, they, they, they'd taken about 20,000 pounds off me without, without telling me because they said they were passing it on to the contractors and I found out they weren't, they were just pocketing it. And um, so I had to, I had to fire them. Right. So I was like, there's no other thing for it. So I fired them. Right. I had no other plan. I literally had no other plan. I'd half a shop fit done, you know, like it, I was signed into a 15 year lease at this point, like going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Um, and my dad came to the rescue. He lived at the time, you know, I mean, he lived in Norwich. So um, he came up for about six weeks and he helped me finish the fit out. He was a carpenter, my dad. He sadly passed away a few years ago, but, um, you know, he dropped all his jobs and said, my daughter needs help and off he off he came up to Edinburgh for six weeks and um you know we we finished um but but because I'd spent you know I literally was his assistant in the in the shop you know building the furniture painting the walls you know doing everything along with having my six-month-old baby so I couldn't be there all the time and obviously you don't want to bring a baby up in the building site so um you know, it was it was fraught and it was long hours. Um, and as a consequence, when I actually opened the doors, I'd done no nothing else to set the business up. So I had some staff, but that was it. Um, I had no customers. I had done no marketing. I'd done nothing. Um, so really, although I've been through this whole trauma of getting the shop open, my my work was only just beginning because I then had to then spend the next six months. I literally trogged the streets of Edinburgh. I got 10,000 leaflets printed and I hand delivered every single one of them into flats in Edinburgh. I would go with, you know, Morgan, who's now 19, but Morgan in his pram, right? <laughs> with, a, with a bag full of leaflets on the back up and down tenement <laughs> flats. Can you imagine in Edinburgh? It's all tenement flats. Up six floors, <laughs> down six floors. Honestly, I must have lost about a stone <laughs> doing that. But we did, it did work because we did um, slowly build up to a customer base. And then we, um, we sold gift vouchers at Christmas. So I opened in the August. Um, so I, I was doing this for, you know, all this, everything, anything that I could think of to do to try and get customers in the door. Um, and then we, we sold gift vouchers at Christmas and a lot of people bought gift vouchers because, you know, it's a really nice gift to buy someone, you know, to come in and have a massage treatment or something. Um, and that obviously you get the money when they buy the gift voucher. So that kind of saved us really in that first year. And it gave us, what well, the great thing about a gift voucher is that you know you've got the, the person who buys the voucher, but then they give it to someone else who then comes in and uses the voucher. So actually you get two customers, which is amazing. Um and so that built our cust our client base, and then away we were. Then we 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 were away then, you know, um got going. But it was hard. It was really hard. It was probably, if I'm honest, hard for the first three or four years of having the business and if someone had said to me at that point you know is this really what you want to do I'd be like no I wish I could hand it back tomorrow <laughs> I was signed into a 15-year lease so I had no choice but, but now I look back on it and think no I wouldn't give it up all the hardship I wouldn't give it up for a second because the people can I just explore <laughs> Becky if I could just explore with you so so you were, you've said that a few times, uh, you felt the financial burden on the lease, right? And you needed yeah. to pay the lease because that's what you needed to do to keep your business open and obviously pay mm -hmm. the people as well. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, 
It's it's interesting to hear you say it because of course there's there's a it is the fact that you've got to put all the hours in, and you're probably the last person that gets remunerated right? yeah. in, in your business because uh, you put it all back into the people or or trying to get the business to grow. Um, mm. How did you? But how did you feel at the time? Did you just purely feel that like, I've got this financial burden, I've got to meet my ends, meet, I've got to keep it going? Or was there something more that drove you to make sure you kept it going? Have you thought about that? Was there another dimension that was keeping you going? I think my own sheer stubbornness, you know, because I, you know, I don't fail at anything. <laughs> if you know what I mean, in my own personal, like, it ain't happening. Never give up. Never give up, right? <laughs> yeah. So I, I am the person who will sit there and be still there at midnight doing the thing to get it done. And um, I've always been like that. That sounds like an auditor to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what auditors do. <laughs> I've been worked with many. <laughs> yes, 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 yep. they are very like that. Yes, you do get trained that way. I think my own sheer stubbornness. And, and also the fact that, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the financial pressures were there as well, obviously, um, yeah. as well, you know. And I knew that it would work because that first Christmas, we had so much good feedback, you know, the clients and, and, and the staff, you know, that I, I knew it, it was a matter of time doing the work. Yeah. yeah. So, so taking all of that, the momentum obviously then started to drive forwards. And I'm going to combine both the, the discussions that we've just had there, that you're obviously extraordinarily resilient uh, and dogmatic about the way in which you want to pursue the, the aspects of the business and on the financial aspect of the business. I read an article that in 2019 you're quoted as saying that raising money had been a tough task. You were asking private equity businesses and 55 private equity businesses turned you down. So that again is another one of those highlights that uh, you're not going to take no for an answer, Becky. Can you tell us a wee yeah. bit about what occurred there and how you got through mm -hmm. that time? Yeah, well, um, so in just, just slightly before that, um, when I'd opened, so we, we grew the first sort of, I would say, eight to 10 years. We, we grew the business. I grew it kind of organically, but by opportunities coming to me. So, you know, I would get approached about opening a new location and then I'd go and look at it and think, oh, yes, this could work or no, this couldn't work. And, and I had no strategy, really for the business other than I knew I wanted to grow it and I knew I wanted to have more than one location. So after about 10 years, we got to, um, we had four locations. So we had two in Edinburgh. So I had Lothian Road, I had Ocean Terminal in Edinburgh, Silverburn in Glasgow and Union Square in Aberdeen, right? We had about 60 staff. So it wasn't a small company at that point, but it was run, I had four, locations that were run completely separately um there was no commonality other than the fact they were all in the same company <laughs> so there um so i spent quite a few i spent a little bit of time putting in some sort of common processes and all the stuff that you probably get in a slightly bigger company that i probably should have put in at the start but i didn't and i then decided you know it was at that point where it was like well what do you want you know, where are we taking the business? What is this business? What do we stand for? Who are we? <laughs> where are we going? And do I even want to grow more from here? Um, but obviously my answer was yes, I do want to grow the business. And I have visions for the business. You know, I want to be known as a brand, you know, globally. Um, ultimately, I think what we deliver to our clients is, feeling amazing when they leave right so so that's why you come to a spa right you you come because you might come because you're a bit stressed or you're feeling a bit sore and what we deliver is a feeling you know it's it's, it's that feeling of oh I feel so good now um and I think that is 
more important and become more important every year that I've gone on with the business and 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 since COVID even more so despite the fact that we weren't able to open obviously for eight the last 12 months I think it will become more important that people spend their time doing things for themselves to make themselves feel good and that's exactly what we do so I decided to take the business forward and I got to a stage where, so we opened, the next one that we opened was West Nile Street. In, but that, that, that opening in West Nile Street was the first one that I said, I'm going to target a place here, rather than <laughs> someone coming to me and saying, oh, would you like to open one here? Um, so that was the start of the strategy. And then we opened, um, we got to basically eight locations. And then... My partner, Michael, came into the business in 2018. You know, he, he could see the potential in the business, and as, as I could. But our problem has always been, my problem has always been, growth funding. Um, because to grow a business doesn't require funding. And the funding is not necessarily used on physical premises. Most of it is actually used in, you know, there's things that you don't actually see, um, you know, a head office team, um, the right people in the right positions to put in the infrastructure so that you can grow. And, and, and doing all of that work, putting in processes, having a plan of, you know, how are you going to roll out different locations? You know, how do you do that? What technology have you got to deliver that? It all takes money. <laughs> and you, you know, so, and it's quite hard to quantify what return that you get from that other than, you know, you know, you are going to get a return, but it, it's, it's a slow burn. But that's really why companies who scale need funding. And so in 2018, we tried to do a fundraise. Now, I don't know if you've seen the stats for women funding, but only one P in every pound of growth funding goes to a female. And I got caught in that, you know, um, we, we, we took on a, actually a, a, an accountancy firm who did a really good job for us um, at, at, at putting this in front of potential people who could, could give us some more funding. And they didn't, they didn't believe in my business or me, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, but um, it, but it's funny, isn't it? I mean, well, what year was that? That was 2018. What year was that? Uh, the end of 2018. Okay. Not that long ago, really. No, not that long ago. Yeah. Um, and so mainly the feedback as well that we got was because my business had been going at that point for sort of 17 years, um, we were taken out of a lot of the tax efficient investment vehicles that investors have to to invest in in companies and I think you know some of the feedback yeah. I got was that we were not at the size that would take us to the next bracket that that wouldn't really matter you know yeah I mean we failed we tried crowdfunding we didn't succeed at that either no. um you know we, we had some interest so it was just the bank that was telling you that you were going for funding. This was um, private equity. Well, sort of funders. They, they weren't all private equity. Uh, okay. um, they were funds or, you know, angel investors, private off family office investment. Mm. So it was equity investment rather than bank yeah. lending. But in the end, mm. um, so... At that point as well, I had opportunities. I had a lot of opportunities for growing. Um, I had a lot of approaches from people who wanted me to open new spas. So um, I had a, a big pipeline of new openings. So I, I had all of it there. So in the end, um, you know, I did what I always do and didn't take no for an answer. And I found the funding. I actually got some funding from the crowd fund lenders. So um, like Funding Circle, I got some money from. 
I got some funds from there was a there's a high growth um again it's lending but it's a high growth government scheme that that, that will lend money to high growth businesses so I got some funds from them I cobbled together what I could basically <laughs> from all sources <laughs> and then we opened so in 2019 we opened seven new locations so we went from the beginning of the year we had eight and the end of the year we had 15 and then you know so coming into well, well, I mean, that was huge <laughs> that was a lot of it was a lot of fit outs I was still doing the paintbrush <laughs> job like I literally you know I remember it so we opened our one in Bristol right and I was we'd advertised for staff in the window right a poster in the window and I was outside the shop painting the front the shop front right <laughs> painting away and I could see this this girl looking at the poster and I was like oh and I was like, oh, we're opening soon and we're looking for staff. And she actually was a therapist. So she was like, oh, I'm interested in the job. How do I apply? And I said, well, I'm the owner, so you can apply to me. <laughs> I don't think she quite said. Here's a, t- here's a, here's a brush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's a good story. That's a good story, actually. So the, the thing was when COVID hit was, you know, we were going great guns and we had all this this great growth but obviously opening it takes about six to 12 months to um, establish a new location and if you think about it right it's like how it's like opening seven new businesses you know because every new spa is a is a, a startup within our company so you know you yeah. start so you cut new customer base right yeah, so you've got to build your customer base and it depends on where they are as well because some places we opened, you know, we already had a spa. So um, we one of them we opened was Hamilton. Um, we opened a David Lloyd at Hamilton, but obviously we already had Silverburn and West Nile Street in Glasgow. So our brand was quite well known. So, you know, I, I got a lot of people um, who come and say, oh, brilliant you're opening in my local club so I'm I'm delighted um so we you know we had a customer base but in places like Bristol where you know we were completely unknown as a brand you know nothing else there um it's a lot harder to build up a customer base and really you do have to do it from the ground up there's no shortcuts no shortcuts um, you have to trod the streets, <laughs> you have to go into the businesses, you have to be visible and, you know, put in the hours and put in the work and put in the, you know, all, all of the marketing. It's, it's, it's a hard slog and there's no way around it, is, is my experience. Just on that, uh, Becky, can I ask uh, what, what is fascinating coming across? Is not only have you got resilience, you're hugely motivated. Where do you think mm. that uh, motivation's emanated from? Good question. Um, I love the business, right? I tell you what it is. It's the people, right? I'm a people business. I love the people, right? They get me up in the morning. If I feel down, right, I just need to look at our feedback or, or something happens, you know, we get the most amazing feedback. I mean, literally, um, you know, like the other day, um, we, we have a manager's WhatsApp um, group. And, you know, because and obviously everyone's all over the country and that we just all WhatsApp each other all the time. Um, and Kirsty, who's our manager in New Haven, sent through, um, she'd got a handwritten letter from a client who's, who'd come in and and we had a brand new therapist who just started with us um Jenna and this this letter was about Jenna and how you know this client who who actually was a therapist right but she'd come in for a treatment um you know thought that she just had the best service from Jenna and it was a it was a lovely letter and that's what keeps me going to be honest because we we've given you know Jenna's just come out of college and we 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 just started. She's just starting on her journey, right? So, how amazing is it for her to have had that 
compliment the other. A handwritten letter handed in to Kirsty, her manager. And, you know, that's the sort of thing that keeps me going, really, yeah. to be Very honest. Um, yeah. But, Becky, we, we uh, ask this question to a lot of our guests now that it's been raised. And Tom Hunter and the Hunter Foundation had uh, written a report and they were looking to try to raise the debate on the best ways to increase the economy whilst still tackling poverty. And we'd mm -hmm. like to ask all our guests, just what would you like to add to that debate? Um, well, I think that entrepreneurs actually have a huge role to play in that. And I think you'll find that most entrepreneurs are... The thing that keeps them going is building other people, right? That, that's, that's what we do. You know, that, that's how I've grown the business. I've grown the people in the business who can help the business. You know, it's not just me standing there at the top, giving out all the... I, I mean, I love nothing more than if I... You know, we'll just leave them to it and they, they, they just make all the decisions <laughs> because they, I hire people because they're better than me, you know, genuinely. Like, you know, I always say to them, I'm not going to manage you because I'm not a manager. I'm, not, I'm rubbish at managing. Um, that, that, that's but, uh, interesting, Becky, because a lot of our guests say that. Sorry, Colin, if I've yeah. interrupted you, but a lot of our guests use that analogy and say that they're. they're the higher the best um, but that in itself is the skill I, I heard Ricky Nichol saying that that he's very he's always aware that the quality of the boardroom that he's got but that quality of the boardroom is attracted by Ricky Nichol and that's mm. a skill in itself and I'm sure you're the same uh, Becky that uh, you wouldn't have the quality of the staff on your boardroom or your senior management if they weren't attracted to what you're trying to do and buying into that. So that in itself is an extraordinary or whatever, but there's a skill involved in being able to yeah. achieve that. So that, mm. that's interesting. You don't have any borders. And you said at the beginning that you would like to globalise. So that is actually a dimension that uh, not every business owner in Scotland could actually visualise. And uh, I think that dimension you've got, if I was an employee of yours listening to that, I would like to believe in that. And I think the whole thing about what you were saying earlier, you know, obviously you've, uh, you've overcome a few hurdles uh, on female business owners not getting the same preferential uh, assessment of abilities and, and opportunities. And you've overcame that. So it's a good inspiration. And I would assume uh, certainly, uh, it's going to be the place where those professionals get their eyes. So you, you, you become a role model for that. But, it's basically... yeah. but I do definitely think that, you know, everyone deserves the opportunity to, to be the best that they can be. And, and often what people need is someone who believes in them and gives them that opportunity. And that's what I think we're about, really. Yeah. I would, I would, you know, happily give anyone an opportunity, yeah. you know, and, and help them. And, and just on that, if we can ask you, that, that, who would you say in your life and your career, Becky, the three people that have inspired you the most? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because I actually get inspired by so many people. It's really hard to... Like everyone inspires me. So, you know, anyone who starts a business, right? And I just, I have hats off to anyone. It doesn't matter what it is or, or how big or how small, because I know how hard it is, how hard they will have, how many hours of, you know, deliberation they've probably had in their own minds. Yeah. Um, and, and how, and, and, and it's, it's brave to start a business right you 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 have to put yourself out there and say you know i believe in this this is what i stand for you know and that that's hard yeah. really hard just doing that mm. um so i've mm -hmm. hats off to everyone everyone who starts and 
in my industry in beauty, there are so many women who've been so badly affected by COVID. Um, I mean, what we actually did a marketing campaign. You know, Rishi did the eat out to help out yeah. scheme. Well, you know, obviously we weren't included. I mean, our, our industry has not been included for anything, um, you know, which in itself, I think, to be honest, is, is a bit sexist. You know, I'm, I'm old enough now where I just call it out. Whereas before I would just get on with it. Now I think, well, actually, you know, it's just out of order, to be honest, you know, and someone should call them out on it. But we, we created a campaign that was treat out to help out. So we thought, well, we can, we can um, have a similar concept. And we, and, and we, we shared it on social media. And I said to anyone in my industry, if you want posters, if you want to join in, we'll give you all our artwork. You know, you can get your own posters printed, stickers. We told them where we got ours printed. They were peanuts. Um, you know, let's just try and help our industry because, you know, I don't, you know, I don't feel like people are in competition with each other, you know, like everyone who has a business is so hard. And especially in the last year, it's been so hard. So I admire anyone who's, managed to get through the last year and and even if they haven't right even if they've not succeeded they tried right they've they've they've, they've been brave they've tried it doesn't work but sometimes when the, you have your hardest moments in your life is when something great happens yeah. and you realize that you wouldn't have had the great thing then if the hard thing hadn't happened. Yeah, and one of the things for me, just another little story yeah. if I've got time, is in 2018, actually, we we had a spa in Debenhams in Ocean Terminal, right? It was a phenomenally successful spa. We, we started off in, De in Ocean Terminal with our own unit, but we moved into Debenhams about five, six years ago. And then Debenhams announced they were going bust. Do you remember that? when they announced they were going bust, right? And our, all of our takings used to go through their till system. So I said to them, I can't afford to have my takings taken by you if you go bust, because they're actually to pay my staff salaries, right? And I can't, I cannot, as a director of my company, stand by and just allow that to happen. So I said, you know, we're happy to stay here, but we want the money to come to us and then we'll pay you whatever you you know we'll pay you your commission rent whatever weekly daily if you want they would not entertain me at all right they got their lawyers involved really aggressive bullying basically and at the time i i just i'm not having it so we moved right we moved to david lloyd in new haven and um, I did that deal in about a week. <laughs> and again, I was in the van, <laughs> emptying out the unit in Debenhams to me. <laughs> and Debenhams, they kept £30,000 of our money, right? And I had to take them to court to get it back. And it took me a year to get it back, right? But that was... I mean, as you can imagine, hugely stressful for me. We moved into David Lloyd. We had no relationship with David Lloyd before that. And I now have six spas in David Lloyd's. Yeah. So if that, if that Debenhams thing had not happened, and if they had not been so awful to us, <laughs> then I would not have had the opportunity to be with David Lloyd, who are great. Yeah. So, you know, to me, actually... Yeah. Maybe it was meant to be. Becky Woodhouse, I've less than a minute left here, and I've got to say thanks very much for <laughs> joining us here. And that I was going to uh, podcast. It's been amazing talking to you. You're Thank such you. an inspiration for not only women entrepreneurs but every entrepreneur. And uh, the way that you've got through things has been an inspiration to everybody. So thanks very much for joining us here. And that I was going to podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.